You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome back, men and women, listeners of Distilling Theology. We are over the moon to have you with us today. Uh, Blake... My dear friend, welcome to episode 45 of Distilling Theology. How have you been over the past several minutes since we've talked? (laughs) You know, it's uh, it's been an exciting time. Um, Mm. It's interesting because we're recording this episode not many days after we recorded the the episode that came out last week. But this week, uh, this episode is dropping on a very special day. It is election day in the United States of America. And so... Subsequently, we decided a couple months ago that we should we we wanted to talk about Tulip anyways. And we were like, you know what? What if we lined up the doctrine of unconditional election on November 3rd for Election Day? So here you are. Congratulations to Jenny Smith for correctly guessing the episode pun connection. Uh, I thought you were about to congratulate the next president of the United States. We don't know who that's going to be. We're going to be praying. Pray for the country. If you haven't voted, go out and vote. Um, we'll be sending Jenny one of our Herman Bobbing quote mugs. Uh, the whole trilogy is still available at shopdistillingtheology.com. Now, uh, so congratulations. Thanks for playing along to everybody who guessed. We'll try and do more fun stuff like that along the way. Now, Justin, what are we sipping tonight? Well, in the spirit of Tulip, <laughs> we are continuing with the five Lagavulin whiskeys that we decided to taste in conjunction with this beautiful acrostic that embraces the lovely, lovely doctrines of grace that we so dearly embrace. Uh, so tonight we are sipping the nine-year uh, Lagavulin, which happens to be a Game of Thrones edition, R.I.P. Um, Although, regardless, kind go of ahead. Fitting, <laughs> kind of fitting for Election Day that it's a Game of Thrones whiskey. <laughs> yeah you're right <laughs> <laughs> because what i mean never mind <laughs> I have, there's, there's no way <laughs> <laughs> it was either going to go with total depravity or with a or come out on election day and you yeah. know what i think both are fitting so you know i also think this is one of the first episodes that our patrons have actually seen me without a hat oh <gasps> yes <laughs> now, believe it or not i have hair there's not much but i have it <laughs> What I what I lack in full beardedness, uh, I make up for in hair, and what you lack in in hair length, you make up for in beardedness. This is um, true. You know, this it's is funny. why we was, are balanced. There's balance in the force. There is balance in the force. This is the way. Um, so this Lagavulin was released, obviously in conjunction with um, the Game of Thrones show from HBO, which we do not condone. I literally bought it because at the time I think it was like fifty or sixty bucks. It's gone up in price now. Um, hmm. But when I got it, it was like a cheap Lagavulin. So it's bottled at 46% ABV or 92 proof. It's aged nine years in first fill ex-bourbon casks. So without further adieu, uh, we've had it sit in the glass for about nine minutes, given that it was in the cask for nine years. Uh, Justin, what do you smell? What stands out to you out of the gate? 
Um, well, it's very characteristically Lagavulin, uh, for sure, with the nose. I mean, it's very... It's a little fruitier than the eight years. Sure, yeah. You, st- you still definitely get that um, smoke and the sort of briskety smell. Yeah, but I, I get more honey in this, mm-hmm. and I get more... Um, I don't want to say citrus fruits, because I don't know if that's quite where it is, but there's something brighter going on here. Brighter and it's a, It's a little bit more zesty, if you will. Yeah, that's a good word for it. And there's some spices in there that I'm catching... Um, nothing crazy, you know, I'm not Eric, so I'm not going to be bringing out all of the crazy. <laughs> Listen, none of us are Eric. That's true. None of us have that ruggedly handsome mustache and mm. brilliance Amen. in the realm of proper covenant theology and mm. distilled spirits. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. There he is. Um, yeah, there's definitely almost, almost some pepper. Yeah, I get some of that. I can see that black pepper. Yeah. Okay, so I, I'm still getting some of like the sea salt kind of smell that that I got from the uh, eight year as well. Mm. Um, I, I could picture this being, you know, seaside, so to speak. Yeah, smells really good though. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm ex- I and for the price point again, that was the thing with this one. Um, I couldn't turn it down for that price, so I yeah. had to go and uh, go and get after it. Well, no, this is nice, man. I'm excited to taste it. Let's let's get into it. Cheers. Yeah. It's a bit sweeter. It's sweeter. It has a very, very creamy mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. Although, on the back end, I'm getting much more of that barbecue smoke. This reminds me more of... We haven't tasted it yet on the show, but this reminds me more of the the kind of barbecue smoke that you get from Lafroig, where Lagavulin is typically a little bit more on the like smoked brisk. It's a little more refined. Sure. This is not as refined <clears throat> as I was expecting. I'm almost getting like I don't dislike it, but it's I'm just almost different. getting like a like a burnt or or like caramelized bananas. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's some vanilla. Yeah, it's different. Maybe even some marshmallow. And I do get in the back of the mouth after like the finish has black pepper. Mm-hmm. You've got that like meaty smoke. But yeah, it's a much more salted caramel, maybe. Yeah, it's it's a very sweet Lagavulin. Yeah, it's not as meaty as uh, no as the eight and the sixteen. And it's not really mouth watering. It's it's more like after you've had at least for me, it's more like after you've had something, um, and your mouth is like almost sticking a little bit. Not mm-hmm. quite. Not like not like if you have peanut butter, but like almost in that direction where it's like it's not it's not like mouth watering or well, it's or like super after you, the, the sensation is almost like after you've had orange juice, where your mouth mm. is a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's thicker, <laughs> mm-hmm. a different viscosity than expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not my favorite Lagavulin. No, but it's very smooth, very drinkable. Yeah, it's nice, it's pleasant. I'm happy about it. I, like I would really it. enjoy this with a cigar by the fire. Yeah, it would have to be the right cigar though, because I feel like if the mm-hmm. cigar was too dry, yeah. this would taste weird by comparison. Well, yeah, I'd be interested. I'd be interested to have it with a cigar because then you you get rid of the the smoky flavor. Mm, that's and then true. You get more some more of the sweet. I'm gonna add a few drops of water because it's almost mm. a little too like viscous and creamy that's, mouthfeel for not me. Bad idea. For once, I actually have some water over here. We should always have water on hand here at Distilling Theology. And it's usually downstairs because <laughs> we're so thirsty. <laughs> It's been a long week. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, that's that's very 
That's an accurate summation, though, of the week. Uh, <laughs> Touche. Although, dude, we're supposed to get snow on Friday. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I meant it. Well, so actually, by the time this episode airs, the snow will have already fallen, potentially. Winter is hmm. coming. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Listen, Blake, this is what we do. We drink and we know things. <laughs> oh, I actually have a glass that says that. And again, I, you guys are going to get the wrong impression. I do not watch Game of Thrones. It's just yeah, I know that reference. I. And I thought, I'm like, well, I need that If you've that been class. on the internet for more than 10 minutes, you've seen at least one Game of Thrones reference. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Anyways. Um, that actually helped a lot with the, with the mm, mouth. The viscosity? Feel. Yeah. Let me get on that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Opens it up a bit. Yeah. Hey, man, that's yeah. good. That's not bad. It's like vanilla sweet... Um, some yeah, some smoke, a little bit of barbecue sauce, black pepper. You know, for the price, I mean, it's not it's not a bad uh, scotch no. at all for the price. Although personally, <laughs> I would rather now now knowing this, I would rather go for the fifty dollar bottle of Hardbag Ten Year. Okay, sure. If I want a smoky whiskey, and I, if I, I want probably, a f- right, yeah. sweeter whiskey at this price point, I just go for Belvini or Bunahaven, probably. Mm. So this this kind of falls in a weird did territory. Did you say <laughs> I did. This falls in a weird territory for me where if, if I have it, I'm not going to not drink it, But and it is Lagavulin, but like the eight-year is amazing. And then yeah. on the flip side, if I want to go really smoky for cheaper, Ardbeg's great. So it's like me or fruity. Like this is just kind of in a weird area for me. I don't know. It's, it's not my favorite. I This is, I mean, it's fine, but it's just not up there for me. That's sure. okay. It's, it was, it's not as good as the eight or the 16. You could say I'm not going to elect to buy this again. (laughs) Speaking of election, before we dive into the U of Tulip, uh, we are beginning the Ulip section of Tulip. (laughs) Ulip is the gospel. That's right. Go back and listen. So before we dive into unconditional election, if you have the value of vision, please turn with us to page 86. We're going to continue on basically in the little section that we're in, uh, reading about resurrection blake without further ado please soothe us with prayer and that handsome voice all right page 86 resurrection O god of my exodus great was the joy of israel's sons when egypt died upon the shore far greater the joy when the redeemer's foe lay crushed in the dust jesus strides forth as the victor conqueror of death hell and all opposing might He bursts the bands of death, tramples the powers of darkness down, and lives forever. He, my gracious surety, apprehended for payment of my debt, comes forth from the prison house of the grave, free and triumphant over sin, Satan, and death. Show me herein the proof that his vicarious offering is accepted, that the claims of justice are satisfied, that the devil's scepter is shivered that his wrongful throne is leveled. Give me the assurance that in Christ I died. In him I rose, in his life I live, in his victory I triumph. In his ascension I shall be glorified. Adorable Redeemer, thou who wast lifted up upon a cross, art ascended to highest heaven. Thou who as man of sorrows wast crowned with thorns art now as Lord of life wreathed with glory. Once, no shame more deep than thine, no agony more bitter, 
no death more cruel. Now, no exaltation more high, no life more glorious, no advocate more effective. Thou art in the triumph car, leading captive thine enemies behind thee. What more could be done than thou hast done? Thy death is my life, thy resurrection my peace, thy ascension my hope, thy prayers my comfort. Amen and mm. amen. That is so good. Dude, every single one of them is amazing. I know. It well, really like is. I said, it's like the best hits. Um, yeah. <laughs> the best hits. The greatest, greatest hits of the Puritans. Um, although, <laughs> still, for me, the best, the best reads we've had so far have been Carl Truman and uh, James LaBelle reading Valley Vision. Oh, so hands down. I, I aspire to that level of uh, oration. If you will. <laughs> well, Blake, you certainly have the voice for it. Oh, shucks. And a face for it, too. I'm just kidding. All right. Moving on. Uh, good thing this podcast is listened to unconditional of my facial expressions. <laughs> mm, there's going to be a lot of puns this week, so brace I'm yourselves. So looking forward to it. Are you sure about that? Um, now, the question is, Justin, what is unconditional election? Does that just mean that God is arbitrarily just picking people out of a hat or... Or that God's yes. just picking his favorites. <laughs> Both of the above. No. Um, unconditional election must be the natural result of what we talked about last week, which is total depravity. If man mm. is truly totally depraved and we have the inability to save ourselves, we have the inability to uh, do anything that is pleasing to God in the flesh, um, mm. then that must therefore then mean, logically... And we will also see very shortly scripturally uh, that God is totally sovereign in even the act of uh, saving his people. So in the same way that God chose Israel, the Jews, to be his people, which no one seems to have any struggle accepting, um, the same goes for God's elect. He chose a people from the foundations of the earth, before the foundations of the earth, from the beginning of what we know as time, God has chosen a people to himself. Um, we see that all throughout Scripture. And because of our inability to choose God, that must mean, then, that God chose us without any conditions by which he He measured those things. So unconditional, meaning there's nothing that we did, there's nothing that we merited, there's nothing that we—it's not as though God looked down the corridor of time and said, I'm going to choose them because they're going to choose—well, no, there is no because, because that would make God conditional— so when that is the, the, I think probably the representative of the most common form of mm -hmm. Arminianism that it, or, or, you know, of a synergistic view or a semi Pelagian view yes. that permeates much of Christianity today. Um, and again, I used to hold that view. Like that was my mm -hmm. kind of mindset is like, well, God is going to look, too. God has foreknowledge. So he knows who's going to respond. And so on the basis of that knowledge, he responds to him. And we're going to address that as we get into the text in a minute here. Um, I just put this little blurb here that God chooses or elects. Election is just a term for choosing, right? That's what is happening in the United States today. People are um, voting their choice of which candidate they want to choose. They are electing a candidate uh, for president. So God elects a people on the basis of his own free, immutable will. So it's not arbitrary. It's not as though God is just like rolling the dice. And on the flip side, it's not upon any conditions within the creature, so it's also not based in us, right? Um, and as you just pointed out, Justin, that's what 
go listen back to last week on total depravity. You know, as we're going through this, this is Tulip, the five points of Calvinism, total depravity, unconditional election where we are tonight, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. And as we alluded to last week, talking with Eric, I loved his phrase, total inability, right? We we do mm. not have the moral ability to choose God. So if if we take that view of foreknowledge for a moment, if God looks through the corridors of time from before time begins to see who's going to respond in faith, because we lack the moral ability without regeneration, then he's going to just see a bunch of dead corpses spiritually. Like he's not yeah. going to see anybody responding in faith. That's kind of the, mm-hmm. the point. Uh, and to start here with some confessional theology, the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter three, article two says, although God knows whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions, yet he hath not decreed anything because he foresaw it as future or as that which would come to pass upon such conditions. In other words, this kind of, in my mind, refutes both Molinism and Arminianism, at least as far mm-hmm. as our, our position as, as Calvinists, as confessional uh, reformed people, that God isn't making his decisions on the, or his decrees on the basis of foreign, <clears throat> foreseen knowledge or foreseen faith. Right. Well, right, that's exactly it. Um, the London Baptist essentially says the same thing. Um, starting off there, you know, God hath decreed him himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably all things whatsoever come to pass. If that's true, that includes all things. <laughs> this mm. is one of those cases where all actually does mean all uh, in the truest sense. Um, <laughs> and and there's, um, there's, there's consequences to believing that, right? There's consequences mm-hmm. to that. I think one of the biggest consequences uh, or one of the biggest responses that we should have if we see... Uh, this particular doctrine, right? We see that God is doing all things according to his counsel of his will. All things come to pass according to his will and to his decrees, um, including our salvation. Mm. Uh, Shouldn't that be for us a very humbling experience, right? Um, Mm. Because that literally takes the legs right out from under us, this idea that we have any sort of uh, leg to stand on, right? We Mm. can't have pride if God has chosen us from the beginning of the world. I mean, we can't have any pride in and of ourselves. I mean, we do because we're sinners, but it's wrong and, and it's not justified or justifiable because mm-hmm. God chose us. We didn't choose God. And, um, yeah. well, if you want to keep reading in the Westminster, because th- there's there's more conclusions we can come as we as we work through this. For sure. Now, I'm going to skip a few articles, though. I definitely sure. recommend, like, go to reformstandards.com mm-hmm. uh, and read the Westminster. Read the 1689 London Baptist Confession. Uh Read the Belgic Confession, read the Canons of Dort, which is where the five points of Calvinism are summarized and, and mm-hmm. presented. Um, mm-hmm. We're just doing a, a, you know, a drive-by here, if you will. <laughs> Westminster Confession, chapter 3, article 5, continues, Those of mankind that are predestined unto life, God, before the foundation of the world was laid, according to his eternal and immutable purpose, and the secret counsel and good pleasure of his will— hath chosen in Christ unto everlasting glory. Out of his mere free grace and love, without any foresight of faith or good works or perseverance in either them or any other thing in the creature as conditions or causes moving him thereunto and all to the praise of his glorious grace. And actually, I'm going to jump ahead in the notes. I want to read from Ephesians chapter one because Absolutely. I feel like it, it, I mean, we read two, chapter 2 last week, which is brilliant. We'll probably hit on it again tonight, but I want to pick up in 1. Uh, so this is Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he, that is the Father, chose us in him, that is the Son, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And then it jumps down a little bit further here. Um, uh, I guess I could just keep reading it. In him we have redemption through his blood in the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who, wait for it, works all things together according to the counsel of his will. <laughs> so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So, I, first of all, I'm just struck in this passage by how much Paul by inspiration of the Spirit, is giving glory to the Father and the Son. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so monergistic. I don't know how, yeah. like, I don't know yeah. how you can read Ephesians 1 and not come away with the fact that it is all of God. It's God's action, God's choice, God's glory, God's will, God's working, right? Like, I, I mean, help me out here, but I don't I don't see how you get around, how we can get around this. I, I think the same <laughs> goes for the classic, as we know, mm-hmm. um, just because we've been Calvinists for a long time, the classic Romans 9 uh, Mm. passage, right? So we see from that entire passage, this entire doctrine of unconditional election, Mm -hmm. um, really any objection you have to that really must come to a collapse under that particular argument that Paul's making. Um, You know, he begins with his readiness to be, uh, you know, first of all, to be cursed and cut off from Christ for his unbelieving Jewish kinsmen, right? He's he's saying, you know, that... (laughs) um, in other words, if he's willing to be cut off, right, that mm-hmm. must imply that some Jews are perishing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we start there, and then, um, you know, that raises the question of God's promise to the Jews. Has it failed? Paul says basically, no. Um, <laughs> it is not as though the word of God has failed, right. because not all, this is important, not all mm-hmm. of uh, who are of Israel are of Israel, right? Um, yeah. You have spiritual Israel, you have <clears throat> ethnic Israel. Um, not everybody who's born... A Jew is part of the elect. Um, right. You know, you read that in Romans uh, 9, 6. In other words, God's promise was not totally equipped to every individual person in Israel. Um, mm. But then he goes on uh, throughout Romans, though they were not yet born, had done nothing oh, yeah, good or bad, Where's and that so on. Yeah. What's that? Well, that, I actually wanted to just kind of read that chunk for a second. If you're, yeah, you want by, to read it, by all means, I actually have it pulled right up here. Oh, then you got you got it. Uh, what is that? Romans nine verse ten. I think is the so, yeah. Starting point at there. ten. Yeah. Well, yeah, even a little bit before that, we'll we'll start at um, verse nine. For this is what the promise had said: About this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived a child uh, by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told. The older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. It's an important word there. Uh, what shall we say then? Of course, Paul's anticipating the response from 
uh, the Romans, he's saying, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? First of all, by no means. Mm, uh, he yeah. says, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Now I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. Now this is God <laughs> having mm. compassion on who he decides, not if you decide to gather compassion for yourself or whatever <laughs> it is you think you can do. Uh, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but mm. on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my, my name uh, might be proclaimed in all the earth so that he has mercy on whom he wills and he hardens whom he wills. Yes. You, will, you will say to me then, why does he find fault for who can resist his will? Well, rightfully so, no one can. But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? So stop there, pause. <laughs> uh who can resist God's will? Why does he find fault? First of all, who do you think you are? <laughs> mm-hmm. Who who are you to speak back to God? You know? Yeah. And then he continues, uh, what will the molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel of honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory and vessels of his mercy, or for vessels of his mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. And then mm. he goes in and quotes Hosea, yeah. um, which I, I can continue if you'd like. Um, uh, I, well, I've, I mean... Bro, each one of these verses could be like a whole 45 minute episode. So we got to. Yeah, let's un- let's unpack that a little bit. Well, so I, one thing I want to, which you emphasized early on in verse um, 11. So it talks about the sons that were born to Rebecca, the, two, mm-hmm. the twins. So they're twins. Like they are biologically the same. You know what I mean? Like that. there's mm-hmm. there's no, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's not anything that should give one an advantage over the other as far sure. as like one's not technically older. Or younger. I mean, even though there's that wrestling and, uh, yeah. the, you know, the wrestling of the twins, but, um, what happens here, right? Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad. So it's interesting that Paul brings that up in this, mm-hmm. first, you know, people always talk about this is about nations and this is just about God's covenant with Israel and incorporating the Gentiles. I'm like, okay, that's an interesting theory, but nations are made up of what? individual people. And in this, this section, he's not talking about nations. No, he's talking about a specific instance and he's talking about the twins and their specific actions. He's not talking about Edom and Israel. Mm -hmm. He's talking Mm -hmm. about Jacob and Esau. And he's saying, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad. Now he could have left us there and left us wondering, but he doesn't. He clarifies (laughs) why he brings this up. Not so that we would know that God is choosing on the basis of their foreseen faith, but in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, mm. but because of him who calls. So, I mean, that passage on its own, I mean, the re- I feel like it just gets stronger from here, but that's, well, a, I feel like you, that's a really strong You can also extrapolate point. from that same passage right there, this idea that faith is works-based, mm-hmm. <laughs> that our salvation is based yeah. at all in works. Yeah. Um, this is another right. one of those verses that ties into that whole uh, doctrine, the, the faith alone that mm-hmm. uh, for salvation. So it just kind of sticks out, you know. Oh, and then, and then we do have this hard phrase, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Mm-hmm. Now, again, to contextualize a little bit, right, Paul's a Jewish scholar. He is a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? He is um, 
a leading theologian among the Jews and then is converted, right? So what's happening here? Well, it's not as though when we see human hatred, it's malice, it's self, it's selfish and it's un, mm-hmm. it is unrighteous. And there's a couple things we have to bear in mind. If you want to jump back to our theology proper episodes, I highly recommend those three. But one thing we need to remember about God is that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's immutable. So he isn't swayed, and he's not, he's impassable. So he isn't swayed by emotion, right? Yeah. Yeah. So when we're saying God hated Esau, what we are not saying is that God is a malicious deity who said, you know, whatever the Richard Dawkins quote is, he's some malicious psychopath deity, all this nonsense. We're going to throw that out for, that cannot be what Paul is saying here. So what is he saying? Well, in the Jewish Hebraic mind of the time, you read the literature, you read the other writings, God's love is associated with covenant blessing and his hatred is associated with covenant cursing. Now, does that mean that God is different? No. I heard a really good analogy that, well, what do we say when, what do we call it when it gets dark outside and, you know, it's the end of the day? We say sunset. And in the the morning when uh, it gets bright, we say it's sunrise. Well, we know now that the sun doesn't move. Relative to us, we're rotating. What? (laughs) But it's still very proper to use that terminology, right? It's still totally fair to say, well, you know, it's sunrise and sunset because we understand that the earth is rotating. But if we were to say it's earth rotation time, like it's just a weird way to talk. So we understand what we mean. And yet there is something true in saying sunrise to our perspective. The sun is rising. And so when you come into the Old Testament, you see these passages where it says the Lord became angry with them and you see his wrath poured out. Well, Does this contradict the other passages of scripture that talk about God being immutable? No. And so in this case, right, what's happening is Israel is turning. And in that turning away, they move from being in the light of God's countenance and his blessing to being under his covenant curses. And so the same thing here, right? Jacob, I love. Jacob is the recipient of blessing. Esau, I hated. Esau is the recipient of covenant curse. And yet it's not on the basis of works. It's on the basis of God's choice. But then, right, here comes this question. Now, it is interesting, too, that this is the question that's raised. I don't know anyone who raises this question on the part of nations. I don't know anyone who raises this question in contrast to the Arminian view, frankly. The Arminian view of God, you know, foreseeing faith. Well, speaking of, just speaking of nations, right, um, God's original purpose in choosing individuals for himself out of Israel and out of all nations. Mm. You -hmm. know what I mean? Um, and, And in both cases... It's not based on any conditions that they would have to meet. It's unconditional, yeah. right? He says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, right? And that's yeah. that's in Romans 9, uh, 15, 16. Uh, yeah. It's in Romans 11. Um, mm. And then Jesus confirms this later on in John 6, right? Yeah. When he says, all that the Father gives me, or all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever mm. comes to me I will never cast out. Yeah. Um, I, never, like he will never cast them out. Um, right, right. no then, one can snatch them out of my hand. Right, precisely. So that, we're, we're jumping ahead in the, the acrostic thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, because <laughs> it's all connected. Precisely. Um, but then we see also in John 6, a uh, mm. little bit later, when he says, no one can come to me unless the Father uh, is granted by the Father. Right? The Father draws me, draws him. Mm. Um, you yeah. did not choose me in John 15. You did right. not choose me, but I chose you. <laughs> um, what? And, <laughs> right? We see it in John 17. We see it in Galatians. I mean... Literally, Scripture is chock full of verses that talk about God's sovereign decision mm-hmm. in the salvation of his elect people. And we see uh, the term elect left and right all throughout Scripture. Yeah. And so we have to reconcile what that means uh, if we have a free will perspective. What does that mean to right. be elect? 
and we have to reconcile all these verses in context um, yeah. to try to to try to kind of jump loops into uh, asserting free will into our uh, into into the election process. Sure. Mm. <laughs> You're saying that I that there's you know well it's, it, I'm going to quote Sproul again. He had this funny quote about it with uh, you know talking about federal headship and like why are we all in Adam like. I didn't vote mm. for him. And it's like, no damnation without representation. You know, I didn't, we're, we're very democratic. We want to vote for our representative. It's like, well, no, Adam was, a, we already talked about this in anthropology, but Adam's a perfect representative for us. So, right now, those who are in Christ are represented by a representative that will not fail them. Mm-hmm. You're represented by one that is superior, right? That mm-hmm. is going to stand for us, that will be able to withstand the judgment uh, but I think it's interesting. Sing in Romans nine for a second here, right? He has mercy on whom he wills, and he hardens whom he wills. Now that's an interesting question, right? When it comes to double predestination, or that is, there's some people that are very comfortable with saying, "Well, God, of course, God elects some people to salvation," but you know, it's not as though he has any say over those that are that are damned. And this is a hard passage, right? And I want to tread carefully because it's important that we do so. But what's happening here? Well. For God to harden the heart. If you go back to Exodus and you read the record of, of Pharaoh's heart being hardened, mm-hmm. it says God's going to harden his heart. But then elsewhere it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Well, you see the pattern. Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then eventually God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, both things are true is what I'm right. saying, right? So you have Precisely. You, you have this beautiful um, moment where it's like, and what's God got to do? Does God have to create fresh evil in his heart the way that we would say in, you know, the, the, the sinner's dead in sin? Mm-hmm. And in order for salvation, God must create faith in the heart of the elect. Well, what we are not saying is that God is creating evil in the heart of the reprobate or the sinner. No, the evil's there, and God simply lets his hands loose. Yeah. Sproul talked about that mm-hmm. in one of his um, uh, in his series. There, he talks about this idea that simply, uh, of course, God is making a, a decision here. Like mm-hmm. he's, it's not as though God is not involved in this process, but um, he doesn't have to create evil in the heart that's already evil, the heart that's already wicked. He simply lets, uh, we see this in other passages in Romans, you know, he turns them over to their passions. Um, he turns them over to what? What's already in their heart, what what they already want mm-hmm. and desire by nature. You know, no one's going to be in hell who doesn't want to be there in a sense, you mm-hmm. know, no, and, and no one's going to be in heaven that didn't want to be there. So, Wait, you know, so you're they, saying that, uh, you know, cause I used to, I literally had this conversation with one of my mm-hmm. friends who was a Presbyterian about five or six years ago. We were staying up way too late. And I said, so <clears throat> but man, but what if there's somebody who really, really wants God, but God didn't let him in. So they're sitting in hell and they really wanted to be in, in, you know, with God. And on the flip side, what if there's somebody that God drags kicking and screaming into heaven that doesn't want to be there? And he's Neither like, those things are true. Right. Neither, right. Exactly. There, and that's why total depravity is so important for us to grasp yeah. is that in Adam, all die in Adam. We are all dead in trespasses and sins. We have no moral ability to choose Christ. We must be made alive by the supernatural working of the spirit, by the power of the gospel. Yeah. And then we choose Christ, right? Like Lazarus, Lazarus had to be raised from the dead before he could respond when Jesus said, come out. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like life had to re-enter him before he could obey. Mm -hmm. And so for us, it's the same, you know, that's not a perfect analogy, but it's a pretty good one. Death to life. We must be raised before we can ever respond to anything. Sure. Um, Sure. And I love this, you know, why why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? Again, not a question you usually hear leveled against synergists. Mm -hmm. I, I don't often hear people of an Arminian persuasion having to wrestle with that question. Mm-hmm. From an Augustinian or a Calvinistic standpoint, I hear that all the time. 
Right. Well, that's not fair is usually the objection. So it makes sense then that Paul would anticipate this question. <laughs> <laughs> but it is interesting, right? And, and what does he say? Who are you, oh man, to answer back to God? Like we're, we're the created stuff. Do we get to say, God, why did you do this? No, we really don't. And it's for his purpose. It's for his glory. And it's difficult and it's, and it's challenging. But I want to stress another one last point here of justice. Because oftentimes what is the, what's behind this question of why does he find fault? Who can resist his will is God, that's not fair. Um, yep. Well, what do we mean by fair? If we mean well, According equal. to what standard, Blake. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, if we mean it's not equal, well, yeah, it's not the same outcome, right? You have two wretched sinners. Both mm-hmm. deserve punishment. So I'm going to borrow from Sproul again from Chosen by God because this is just great, right? There's a couple options here of what God could do. And we're going to examine what he did do. And we've already been talking about this, but he could choose to save nobody. And would God be perfectly, I mean, think about this. If you've never wrestled through this. Yes. Would would God be just to punish fallen man for fallen man's sin and not provide a way of salvation? Every man, woman, and child. Mm -hmm. Not just the men, but the women and the children too. (laughs) Uh, I've honestly had people uh, reject this doctrine for that specific Mm -hmm. uh, argument. The, the, The idea that, uh, God would send uh, uh, any babies to hell. Now, mm. I'm not saying one way or another if God does. I, I'm, I don't have the mind yeah. of God. But what mm. I do know is that God would be just to do that because we are born into sin. It's not as though we're born clean or we're born innocent. Uh, we are born in iniquity. Um, right. Well, there, right, God, there isn't an age of innocence, right, quote unquote. Right. Uh, we're born sinners. I mean, what did God do in the flood? Every man, woman, and child on yeah. earth, except for one family, was wiped out. Was mm-hmm. that unfair? No. Mm-hmm. Who are you, oh man, to speak well, back to God? it's not injustice, right? That's, that's, the, that's what I'm driving at here, right? So right. God is just if he punishes everybody. Uh, on the flip side, he could choose to save everybody. But mm-hmm. we, know he does, we know neither of those two things are the case, right? So mm-hmm. praise the Lord. We can throw those two out. Yeah. So usually what we're left <laughs> with is God can say, well, I'm going to make an opportunity for some, or I'm going to make an opportunity for all but not be able to ensure that anyone is saved. Or on the flip side, um, I can ensure the salvation of all, which we already threw out, or ensure the salvation of some. And so usually the discussion comes between, well, does God make an opportunity for everyone or does God only choose some? And yeah. if we're honest with ourselves, if we believe that the general rule of thumb is you must hear the gospel to be saved, well, unfortunately then, what do we have? It's only available to those that have heard the gospel. So mm-hmm. then you have, it's only it's only an opportunity for some in Arminianism or in Calvinism. It is sure uh, rest assured for some because God is choosing to act. And obviously that's the persuasion we're taking, but I, I just want to throw all this out there because I think it's helpful well, and that's to wrestle the, with it. You know, look at, um, look at acts, right? The book of acts 13, when God says as many were appointed to eternal life mm-hmm. believed. So there's people mm-hmm. throughout history who have been appointed right. to believe and have eternal life. Yeah. Um, and speaking, like you said, of this idea of of um, having assurance uh, mm-hmm. in our salvation, I mean that that this this doctrine here, this this doctrine of yeah. uh, unconditional election, should make us fearless to evangelize. It should yeah. make us fearless to preach mm-hmm. um, for those that are called to preach, um, because we can we can recognize that individual salvation is not based on how good we present the gospel or mm-hmm. if we uh, present it 
uh, enough <laughs> or, mm-hmm. uh, you know what I mean? That we can, we can preach the gospel and we can sleep with our head on our pillows at night comfortably knowing we've done what we're called to do um, mm-hmm. and that God's work is going to be done with or without our help. Right. Um, we just get to the blessing to be part of the means by which God has chosen uh, to mm-hmm. use to uh, elect his people. Yeah. Now you're right, man. And I was actually going to read one other thing from John's gospel, John chapter 10, um, verse 25, 26. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we'll pick up in verse 24. So the Jews gathered around him, this is Christ, and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe. Now get this, because you are not among my sheep. He doesn't say, you're not my sheep because you don't believe in me. Mm-hmm. He says, you don't believe because you're not a part of my flock, right? My sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who is greater than, than, uh, sorry, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Um, I'm going to get, we'll get into this again in the P, but I wanted to just emphasize that again, right? The sheep, right? Jesus' sheep, Jesus' flock, who he's chosen, they know his voice. But those who don't believe, they don't, it's not that they're not his sheep because they don't believe. They don't believe because they're not his sheep. Mm-hmm. Anyways, now let's look at some of these conditional verses, Justin, because, you know, <laughs> come on, you got to do something. Conditional verses. Well, let's take a look at some of these, huh? Mm. Um, if you have your Bibles, open with us to Joshua 24. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm actually pulling it up right now so I can read it. No, I got it here. Uh, yeah, Joshua 24, um, starting at verse 14, yeah. uh, where it what says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in, in, in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. <gasps> he said, choose, Blake. Oh, whether it's over. The, whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Mm. So Blake, what do we do with choose when he says, choose this day whom oh. you will serve? You know what? It's time to pack it up. Forget Romans, forget oh. John, forget Ephesians, forget, forget Galatians. Forget Galatians, forget Acts, forget it all. <laughs> forget Job, forget Genesis. Yeah, yeah. no, we're not going to do that. That's not how we do theology. So, well, who is he speaking to here? <laughs> right, he's speaking to the covenant people of Israel who are... Right. The elect, <laughs> right? If but you will, not for nothing. But I still, me, choose whom I serve on a daily basis. I'm what? just throwing that out there. But I'm only <sighs> able to do that because God has chosen me mm-hmm. to save me and given me the freedom to choose to do things that are pleasing to Him. And it's yeah. only through His power that I'm capable of doing those things through the work yeah. of the Spirit. Right. I, th- I think it's funny because this verse often gets pulled out as like the 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 end all for this verse or, you know, you have this one, um, John 15, verse five, which is actually only a few verses ahead of the other thing we were just quoting there. But he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So right in that verse, right, what what is usually thrust there is whoever abides in me will bear fruit. But what's the next part for apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah, there's two things there. <laughs> right. And I mean, when, both. when we get to the P, we'll read Hebrews six and the warning passages about apostasy because apostasy is a real thing. And we have, mm-hmm. you know, there's a covenantal context, even within whether you're 1689 Federalist or a Presbyterian, yeah. there is a, uh, a biblical understanding and a theological grasp of what apostasy means. Mm-hmm. Um, it does. Now the question is, right. Can you lose salvation? Well, we're going to get there. But as far as God choosing people, right. I don't think any of these verses you know, undo it. And of course, there is the one verse, the 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 Calvinist killing verse, if you will. Uh, you see it at sports games. You see it held up. It's probably the most famous verse of the Bible. John 3, 16. <laughs> John 3, For 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Justin, that is whosoever. That is not whoever God chooses. Checkmate Calvinists. You know, Blake, if you read the Greek, <laughs> that... That whosoever is really all the believing ones. All that's saying is those who are in Christ. Now, let's continue on to verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in, the, uh, but, uh, in order that the world might be saved through, through him. And then verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. For he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Gasp. So, first of all, that verse has nothing to do with who the elect people are or who the elect people are not. Right. It's not a yeah. it's not a verse even describing who can come to God. No, what it's saying mm-hmm. is that if you are in Christ, yeah. God has come to save you, all the people mm-hmm. that are in Christ. God has yeah. come to save, and if you are not in Christ, you are condemned already. Well, also, who's Jesus speaking to here? He's speaking to Nicodemus, who is mm-hmm. a leader among the Jews. So, mm-hmm. this whole idea of God loving the world... In other words, not just the Jewish people, the covenant community, but everybody, but everybody, all people from nations. every tribe, tongue and nation. Right. And at yeah. the same time, right. There's the, and, and there's books about this. I don't have one right off the cuff to recommend, but, um, there is the free offer of the gospel and there is no falsehood in that. Right. Mm-hmm. As we said, we don't know who the, who the Holy spirit is going to, uh, regenerate by the gospel. Yeah. And that's not our job. Our job is to preach last, Christ. Last week, yeah. Spurgeon's, Spurgeon's quote that if, if the elect had yellow paint on their backs, we'd run around yeah. pulling up everybody's shirts, but we don't. So we preach mm-hmm. the gospel mm-hmm. and then we die and we're forgotten. Amen. <laughs> That's another, another quote. Uh, real quick. I think there's two mm-hmm. things that should uh, be fruit uh, to us as believers. Mm-hmm. If we truly embrace this doctrine, there's two things that I think should really come out of that. Number one, humble us, right? Mm-hmm. First Corinthians one, yeah. when it talks about, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. You know, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So if we are truly God's elect people and we understand mm. that in light of our depravity, yeah. we have no ground to boast and we should be humbled by this incredible love that God has for the people that he's chosen. Mm. Um, so that's number one. And number two, uh, out, the outpouring of that should be a moral mm. impetus for kindness, forgiveness, yeah. compassion, right? Put on then Colossians 3, put on then as God's chosen ones, mm. holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, forgiving each other. No one has seen or savored this election truly who has not been moved by it. You know, mm. if you're not moved by your salvation, uh, I have questions. <laughs> yeah. You know, if if you are not humbled by this, I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, and I want to pick up uh, Ephesians 2 real quick to that point, mm-hmm. right? Ephesians 2 verse 10. So this is after, we already read the rest of Ephesians 2, uh, the, this section last week, so go check that out. But verse 10 says, 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so if our response to these doctrines is to become arrogant and prideful, if our response is to say, well, what does it really matter since God's chosen anyways? We don't understand these doctrines. Mm -hmm. And to the episode two weeks ago with Dr. James LaBelle, the whole Puritan mindset is, how does this doctrine purify my life? And to your point, it should humble us. Mm. It should break us of our pride. It should make us realize our utter dependence on Christ. And it comes back to this theme that you'll see in Reformed preaching, um, union with Jesus, right? What is faith? Faith is the instrument by which we're unified to Christ, but ultimately what justifies us is Christ. It's not the veracity or the strength of our faith. It's not that we muster up enough. It's that by faith we're unified to Christ, (laughs) right? There's a story, I don't remember... I know exactly what you're referencing. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a clip. Yeah. I don't remember what it is, but basically, it's on it's on Reformed Thug Life. So uh, go, I think go it was probably I think it was Alistair Begg. Actually. Yeah, mm, was it Alistair? I don't remember it was, who it was. It was one of those guys. But this idea that yeah, uh, one guy has doubts and the other guy doesn't, but they both oh. believe in Jesus. Well, no, the, the it was actually in the context of the right, but the context was he says, "Oh no, that you know, was it's, yeah, it's okay. uh, the Exodus, right? It's the night of the Exodus, mm-hmm. and you have two guys. Yes, yeah, uh, same story, yeah, Johnson and Brown, and Johnson says." Hey man, I'm really worried about this, you mm-hmm. know, this plague. Have you seen everything's going on? I don't know, you know. And Brown says, "Well, you know, did you put the blood on the door?" "Well, of course, I'm not a fool." "Well, you know, what about you? Aren't you nervous?" And Brown says, "No, I'm not nervous at all. Bring it on. You know, I have the blood on the door." And the mm-hmm. other guy says, "Well, I'm I don't know, man. This is terrifying, this and that." And he says, "Which one lost their son that night?" The answer is neither, because mm-hmm. it's not the veracity or the strength of the faith. It's the blood of the lamb that covers the door. And that's the point, right? That's the gospel. We are covered in the blood of Jesus. We are covered. We are, it's it's this idea. I mean, you see this in the garden. It was Mm. D.A. Carson. You see this in the garden, right? With um, Adam and Eve, they sin, they fall. And what is the first thing God does? He covers them. Mm -hmm. And so there's this foretaste of the covering that Christ brings over fallen humanity. And so all, all that to say, guys, as we study these doctrines, I want to read the Westminster uh, 3, Article 8 again. We read this a couple weeks ago, but the doctrine of this high mystery of predestination is to be handled with special prudence and care. That men attending the will of God revealed in his word, in other words, we're not looking for a genie in a bottle, we're not trying to find the secret things of the Lord, and yielding obedience thereunto may, from the certainty of their effectual vocation, be assured of their eternal election. So shall this doctrine afford a matter of praise, reverence, and admiration of God and of humility, diligence, and abundant consolation to all that sincerely obey the gospel. Mm. So this is that reminder, guys. We're not supposed to go out and browbeat our Arminian brothers in the faith. We're not supposed to go out and become arrogant, cage-stage Calvinists who want to bicker with everybody and show everyone how right we are and how wrong they are. Ultimately, whether someone believes this or doesn't believe this, as long as they believe salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, then, you know what, we can have union with that person because we're unified in Christ. Christ didn't die for us to fight each other over this. He died for us to be forgiven of our sins and to be covered by his righteousness as we enter into that eternal weight of glory. Yeah. I don't know. Those are my kind of closing thoughts on unconditional election for this week. I agree. Amen, brother. Uh, folks, if you want to uh, read some more about this, we uh, mm. are basically going to recommend the same books we did last week um, because they're they're excellent. Uh, mm. By Sproul, you have 
uh, Sproul, uh, you have Chosen by God and the Holiness of God, which are both absolutely uh, just nuclear bombs on this subject. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have his What is Reformed Theology, which covers all this. And then, of course, Michael Horton's For Calvinism mm-hmm. uh, is another great one. And then Against Calvinism is another yeah. uh, another one that you might want to take a look at, just so you have some full-orbed uh, uh, yeah. understanding of, of uh both sides of this particular doctrine, this yeah. these doctrines in general. For sure. And next week, we're going to be continuing yeah, through the tulip, and we're getting to boy. the one. Now, this is the one. If people aren't upset already, they're going to be really upset next week. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about the doctrine of limited atonement, which... Uh, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. And we're going to be sipping Lagavulin 11-year-old. This is the, the Nick, Nick Offerman, Offerman edition. edition. <laughs> and he actually did have some some involvement in uh, the barrel picks and things like that. So we're very, very excited. He is my spirit that. animal. <laughs> he is your spirit animal. Now, before we get to our final tag here, there was something fun that had happened. So um, a couple folks have left us some really, really wonderful reviews on mm-hmm. iTunes. And we kind of wanted to do some uh, interesting readings of these. So... Um, do you have that thing pulled up, Justin? I do. I so do. I wanna, I'm, I'm going to read the first Please one. read the first one yeah. with your epic Blake voice. All right. So this is a five-star review that says, a winner on any value scale. So thank you for this kind review. As you can deduce from the name, this namesake is a wonderful mash bill of solid distilled spirit recommendations, a heap of lively guests, a scoop of challenging theological topics, and a strong hint of biblical and discerning discussion with a dash of friendship and humor. The nose is clearly and distinctly the aroma of Christ. The taste is a complex profile that is shallow enough to wade into, but deep enough to drown. And always a clean finish that leaves you in anticipation for the next episode drop. No haughtiness, no snobbery. You can tell the friendship between the hosts and the care and the joy in discussing theology proper. That was beautiful. <laughs> That's the review. best review I've ever heard. <laughs> it's so good, man. Do you want to read oh the other long gosh. one there? Uh, the one I on the do. bottom. This is a great podcast. This podcast is one of the best theology podcasts out there. The hosts are down to earth and approach the topics with a humble and approachable attitude that allows their audience to easily learn about weighty topics. I love their back and forth on theology and, of course, whiskey. I could picture sitting around with them and having a bourbon and talking theology as they give off a vibe of knowledge without arrogance. Give it a listen. You know, honestly, when we first started doing this, that's truly what we pictured is just sitting around the fire, smoking cigars, having some uh, delicious whiskey and just Mm -hmm. talking about theology, because those are the things that we love to do. We love the Lord and we love talking about him and his Mm -hmm. word while enjoying the things that he's given us to enjoy fellowship together. Yeah. And there's one little short review here. Another five star. Uh, The title is Tasty. (laughs) <laughs> a very good show with great theological discussion satisfies a thirst for the knowledge of God. So thank you to everyone who's written us reviews. We super appreciate it. Guys, if you've enjoyed the show, um, please head over to iTunes, drop us a five-star review, write us. Can you outdo those reviews? In yes, Flower we will read them on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a joy. And it does, it helps other people to find the show. And it also, it's, it's an encouragement to us that, you know, we're doing something yeah. that you guys enjoy. And also join us in our Facebook group. Um, you can search Facebook uh, on Facebook, search for distilling theology. It's growing. It's fruitful. It's a joy. Um, and 
it's a great place for discussion. We'll talk about the episode topics in there. We'll take requests, all this kind of stuff. Also follow us on Instagram slash distilling theology. Be sure to follow our, and like our Facebook page. Um, we'll post updates about future giveaways because we do have some things in the works. So yeah, stay tuned for that. Um, yeah. And also, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the quote mugs are still available at shopdistillingtheology.com with quotes from the wonderful works of God by Herman Bavink. If you join us on Patreon, Ooh. you can get a discount on those mugs. Ooh. And actually, right now, Blake and I, today, we're working on some future merchandise oh. that you guys can uh, or will be able to purchase uh, with some really cool design action going on. I'm super pumped. I can't wait to rep some of our own merch just because I am that arrogant. Uh, no, but honestly, it's really cool stuff. Um, I'm really excited for it. So join us on Patreon. You will get uh, a lot of cool stuff in addition to a discount on our merchandise. Uh, you will get this stuff uh, a week in advance, usually, but you will get it early. Uh, you will get video content. Uh, you will be able to see Blake and my uh, ridiculous expressions in um, all of our guests when they come on as well. Mm, yeah. uh, you will also get extended conversations. We usually uh, will have conversation after the fact. Uh, sometimes, uh, in the case of Sam Renahan, we'll talk for two and a half hours in total, which is mm, awesome. Amen. Uh, and you'll get all of it. You'll get it unedited, raw, totally live streamed, uh, and it's a whole lot of fun. That's four ninety nine a month, less than the uh, cost of a ridiculously overpriced, really too sweet. You don't want to be drinking it frappuccino from Starbucks. Uh, also, for fourteen ninety nine a month, if you join us there, you'll get some uh, more high-quality video content down the road. Mm. Um, there's some really cool stuff coming. Also, you will get an exclusive mug after your first three months, which patrons oh, only yeah. will ever receive, uh, unless yep. there's a weird black market going on for distilling theology <sighs> merchandise, which I highly doubt. Mm. Um, so yeah, join us on Patreon. Truly, you guys are what make the show uh, and make yeah. all of these things that we do possible. We cannot thank you enough. We really appreciate your guys' support. And, mm. um, you know, join us, please. Join us. Be part of the family. And- Indeed, and we are also part of a family as proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. This is a network of doctrinally sound podcasts from a Reformed perspective, including Assurance of Pardon, The Bobcast, Christ in Context, Distilling Theology, Fast God Stuff, Reformed Brotherhood, Reformed Pilgrims, Sippin' on Theology, and the Steady Anchor Podcast. Head over to reformedpodcasts.com. Subscribe to the mega feed and you will have this endless flow of doxological, theological content. Um, great, Hallelujah. Great range of voices. <laughs> uh, you know, you've got like the Bobcast guys going through the works of Herman Bobbink, which is super niche, but literally they could do that the rest of their lives if they wanted so to. So good. Super uh, good. Assurance of Pardon, Scott and Gage as two PCA pastors. Um, I love listening to their series on hermeneutics. Go check it out. Mm-hmm. If you want to know how to properly read the Bible and if you've ever felt found, Mint. you know, verses challenging, if you wonder if Jeremiah 1911 is about you graduating high school, go <laughs> listen to Assurance of Pardon. Reform <laughs> um, Brotherhood is currently doing a series on views of communion or the Lord's Supper, and I highly commend it to you. Absolutely. Um, that's an area that I think. Uh, you know, and we start to get into terms of sacramentology, but it's something that people struggle with and, and have a hard time wrestling through. So there's just mm-hmm. a few of the things happening. And the guys over at Reformed Pilgrims have been going through different creeds, which is awesome. So if you ever wonder about the early Christian creeds, go take a listen. They're doing a great job uh, expositing those. So, yeah, that's what it's been. Thank you guys for hanging out this week. And as always, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. We hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode of Distilling Theology. Our conversation went on for quite a while afterwards, and you can check out this sneak preview from that extended conversation available exclusively at patreon.com slash distillingtheology. It's not as though I went to the text 
like saying, I'm going to find Calvinism. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, yeah, I read the scriptures and that's what led me. I didn't, it's not as though I found particular preachers that led me to those scriptures. It's like those scriptures led me to seeking out more study, which led me to other preachers and mm-hmm. so on. Um, no, that's a good, yeah. I, I think that's the, right. That's the meat of it. That's why we're trying to quote as much scripture as we can in these episodes mm-hmm. because ultimately, right, we both are convinced that this is the biblical view. Mm-hmm. So of course we're going to go to the text to prove, you know, to, to, to showcase that. And not in the sense yeah. of like, I want to prove text, but like, just go read Romans, go yeah. read Ephesians, go read the gospel of John. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> salvation is of the Lord. And what a joy and a comfort that is. Mm-hmm.